The best thing about teaching is it matters. The hardest thing about teaching is it matters every day. very excited that today we have Dr. Uh, Todd Whitaker with us for our podcast. And um, Dr. Whitaker, I don't know if you know this, but when I was a really young principal, your work really inspired me and helped me find the path to sanity as I was uh, leading a school. And it came from this place that I was... Um, frustrated because I knew the right things to do, but I almost needed the permission <laughs> to do them. And uh, your materials and things like dealing with difficult teachers, that book or the book about what great principals do differently, really helped me find balance and boundaries in my work. And so I, I'm honored to have the opportunity to talk with you today about the work that you do uh, with school leaders and the, and the materials that you've written to help those around the country like you've helped me. Well, you're very kind. You know, it's it's really a funny thing. And I and I say lots of things sort of trying to be funny, but there's almost all truth in it. But one thing I share all the time is we're surrounded by so much average, we start to think average is right. Oh, yeah. And then what happens is we're just doing average things and they're not working. Mm -hmm. Or they're bare, sort of working. And the people we su get supervised by are doing average things that are sort of working. And we just repeat them. And it really becomes hard to sort out because we lose our instincts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, um, so you raise those happens. back up for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, I, I have a book for first year teachers called your first year I've written with my daughters. And because of that, people always want to know what's the one thing, you know, and of course there is no one thing, but mm -hmm. it, when people go is what one thing would you suggest to new teachers? I'd say, trust your gut. I said, your gut's right. Mm -hmm. The problem is you student taught with someone average that does things wrong. So you start to do things like them. Mm -hmm. And think about this, that the first time a student, a teacher yells at the kids, their gut tells them that's wrong. They don't want to be like that. They have no desire. They don't want to be that teacher that was like that. Mm -hmm. And if they trust their gut, they don't know what they're going to do tomorrow, but they know they're not going to yell. Mm -hmm. But if they ignore their gut, then the next day, it doesn't set off as many bells as it did that day. Mm -hmm. And the next day it sets off even less bells. And the challenge is it sort of works the first time, if that makes sense. You yeah. do get people's attention the first time. Yeah. You lose respect, you lose regard, you lose relationships, you lose professionalism, you lose all sorts of things, but it does work. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you stop trusting your gut. And next thing you know, you're that person who's doing that. Yeah. And um, but it wasn't that you were wrong from the beginning, that you did it wrong, didn't rely on your own instincts. And I think that's that same thing with leadership. We we don't want to blanket monkey people. We don't want to send out a note that says some teachers need to some teachers. You, we don't want to have a faculty meeting and say uh, some of you are late, sometimes some of you. <laughs> but we do it because that's what the other people do to us. Yeah. And we start to do that to others. And, you know, I think that we do that also. It's it's sometimes hard to be above average, right? Because there are pressures that push against you when you try to be better than good, when you try to change things, when you try to um, follow your instincts and be the person that you were when you were driven to go into this role. 
Um, there are those around us who like the status quo, who, and it's our brain, right? Our brain teaches us not to, um, to stay safe and to, to move or to shift our practice is a bit uncomfortable. And so as we, uh, as leaders trust our instinct and we push against the status quo, it's hard. It's hard to to live in that space. And it may be our brain that tells us that, but many times it's our peers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of like, this will sound really weird. You know, my standard, when you hire a new teacher, you only have one goal when you hire a new teacher, there's one goal when you hire a new teacher and that's for your school to become more like the new teacher, not for the new teacher to become like the school. (laughs) And what happens is though, when you hire someone exceptional, they are getting whispered at every day. Mm -hmm. Don't, or maybe yelled at, Mm -hmm. don't be exceptional. In any school, there are ineffective teachers telling new teachers not to call parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that makes them look less ineffective if they don't call parents, if other people start calling, stop calling parents too. Yeah. And so I think there is that pressure and understand this. It, it's sort of like in, we're all 13. We've all been 13 our whole life. <laughs> And if you're the only principal in a district doing something, there's a lot of people in the district talking about you mm-hmm. because they don't want to look bad compared to you. You know, it's sort of yeah. like people don't mind being the second worst employee. They just don't want to be the worst employee. <laughs> and um, and it's it, it's a funny thing. And, and, and part of it is also realize for you to do things differently and more exceptionally than everyone else, you have to know how. And I think that's also part of it. You know, you'd mentioned books and and the the biggest reason I write books, my publisher isn't going to like to hear this, but I don't care if you buy a book, Xerox it and send it back. My publisher cares. I don't care. <laughs> I write books so you know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you read my books and, and this doesn't mean they're right, this is just my vision. So keep that in mind. I've never even read my books, So keep that in mind. <laughs> but I, it isn't generalizations. It's where do you sit? How do you say? How do you start? How do you end? Um, when do you do it? What day of the week? What time of day? Do you call mom? Do you call dad? Do you call home? Do you call work? Because if you don't know those things, the generalizations don't help you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that's part of it. Think about, you know, my first book was dealing with difficult teachers. And think about the challenges. One of the reasons principals struggle with negative employees is they've never seen anybody deal with negative employees. Yeah. And their part-time jobs, their full-time jobs, their summer jobs, their if they weren't in education, I, I think it's so funny when people blame tenure. And yet you can go in any store and see clerks that are completely disinterested, rude and offensive. They don't have tenure. Yeah. But it isn't clerks. You can also call a company and they don't call you back. You can also yes. <laughs> set an appointment with a repair person and they never show up. You can also, and I think it's the funniest thing in the world that people blame tenure because I blame ineffective leaders. Yeah. So we haven't had the opportunity to see conflict management modeled for us. If, you know, if we're an, if we're an employee who is rising up and we're becoming leaders in our organization, we are not involved in those conversations where people are behaving badly, either one, because they're not being addressed or two, someone's handling it professionally and we're not, it's not open for us to see. And I remember, and I I have a podcast I did, um, I think it was called the skin of the rhinoceros where I was a young teacher and uh, I kind of got a lashing from my staff for pushing. And I learned that I had to be okay with 
not necessarily being liked and making the right decisions for kids. And, and in your book, you talked about, um, the, the note on the copy machine where you say, you know, please don't make any more than 30 copies. And then everyone else thinks they did something wrong, except the person who made 50 copies who walks in next time and makes 75. That, that was a perspective changer for me that, you know, if we message things in a way that we are rewarding and recognizing the people that are doing the right thing, those are the things people will aspire to. And so it really did help me know how to manage bad behaviors. You know, it's, it's really funny because the, the one thing that I, I truly believe is a guiding light for every leader in every organization is this. If you do everything based on the best people, you never make a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Because you had mentioned you got pushback when you worked with negative people. You didn't get pushback from your good people. No, right. Unless you, unless you were doing it wrong. I mean, yeah. if you were humiliating or berating or belittling them, mm-hmm. you were, you would have got pushback from the good people. But otherwise, you don't hear it. See, and that's one of the things. we. It's really important that we understand the difference between the best person and the worst person is a cavern, not a sliver. It's like they're not even in the same profession. Yes. And we think their votes count the same and their votes don't count the same. They're not even close to counting the same. Yeah. And we also think about this. We also protect our ineffective people all the time because we think we, if we appease them, they'll stop complaining. Mm-hmm. But what we've learned is the less they have to do, the more time they have to complain. <laughs> That's true. And we punish people for being good. And it's the complete wrong way of thinking every, of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is, and, and this is what you'd mentioned, in a in a true in an organization with a great leader, the people that are isolated are the ineffective people. Mm-hmm. An organization with a poor leader, the people that are isolated are the good people. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get confused. We think that and 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 the other challenge, the biggest challenge a principal has is if they've never worked with a great principal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then they have to figure everything out on their own, literally everything they have to figure out on their own. If they've ever worked with one great principal, even if their personality is different, look at how many answers you already have. Mm-hmm. You yeah. may not do it like them, but at least you know what to do, the, the timing and that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And it, it makes me think about this, that um, when in my experience, when I honored the teachers who were doing well and I provided leadership to them, there became this little squirmish about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say equity, but it was more about fairness. Like, are you fair? And I I always held in my own belief that I am I am fair like I'm fair to students, right? Like everybody needs something different and right. I'm going to address and reward those that live up to the expectation I'm setting. And I'm going to address and I'm not going to reward those who are not living up to the sure. expectation. Right. The fairness becomes the push from those who are not um, living up to the expectation. Fairness is only the push till you don't respond to their response. See, yeah. what happens with dysfunctional people, dysfunctional people throw everything against the wall and whatever sticks is what they continue to throw against the wall. Right. Yeah. If if fairness, if you don't respond to fairness, they'll never mention fairness again. Mm-hmm. They'll mention something else. Mm-hmm. And so we get so confused. We think that really is fair. It, it isn't. That That's literally a made up thing that they're trying on you today. Yeah. It, you know, I was a high school principal when I was 25. Oh, wow. and, and 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 a teacher could go, an ineffective teacher could go, what do you know? You're only 25. Guess what I'd say to them? What would you say? 
nothing. Why would I say anything to them? <laughs> don't even acknowledge I don't even it. understand. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, why would I say anything? But what's uh-huh. funny is, what would most people do? They'd say something, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, but I taught this. Well, I did this. Well, I know this. Well, I did. it's like, what is that? I don't even understand that. But think about an average teacher responds to dysfunctional kids. A great teacher ignores dysfunctional kids. Yeah. And ignore, ignore is not a void. Ignore is choosing to respond or not to respond when you need to respond. Mm-hmm. Why would, why as an adult, we're all 13. Why as an adult would I respond to someone? It's like, think about a, a great teacher when a kid goes, your nose looks funny. The great teacher doesn't do anything. And the crummy teacher goes, well, your face looks funny. I mean, think about that. Yeah, it's true. We're hoping they get to 13. I mean, (laughs) and so it really is that's trusting your instinct. And and great principals teach, treat the teachers like great teachers treat the students. We have the role model in our school. We're just looking up instead of looking down. Meaning, and I don't mean down in terms of importance, but we look up to someone at central office and for leadership, I'm looking down to my very best teacher. And I don't mean down at, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm looking to my very best teacher. I go, what would they do with kids? At meetings, I, as a leader, I always sit next to the most dysfunctional teacher. Mm -hmm. And most people, the most dysfunctional teacher is the farthest away, which empowers the dysfunctional teacher. Mm -hmm. I sit next to the dysfunctional teacher. Well, guess where I learned that from, Sherry? Sit next to the most dysfunctional student. (laughs) What does the best teacher do? And what does the worst teacher do? The dysfunctional teacher. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. You go on a field trip, you set them next to you. You know the routine. (laughs) Of course you would. And the other thing is, I don't let a cluster of five negative teachers sit together where they have the emotionally reserved section in the back of the faculty meeting. You switch the back to the front, the front to the back, take away every chair. And then I sit next to the most challenging person Mm -hmm. because it takes away their power. And yeah. and all you have to do, literally, all you have to do is like, what does the very best teacher do? And then do that. And it sounds so, it, I call it as simple, it's just not easy. Yeah, you know, if you think about that, too, it even goes to communication. If you think about the letter you would want your most effective parent teacher to send to parents, that's the letter you want to send to your staff. It's not... You know, all of the kids were terrible today. And so I gave them all a <laughs> reduced recess time. You know, it's going to be how uplifting some of our leaders were and how they supported the classroom's learning. It's the same messaging, just in a different. In, in a great teacher's audience. classroom, in a great teacher's classroom, every student thinks they're the favorite. You know, and isn't that funny? Because they they're, they think they're the favorite. They think they're getting treated special and they don't complain when you're getting treated special. Yeah. The other thing is, I know this sounds really weird, and I I have to, I say seeing things simply, but I explain how to do it. That's why I write books because I also talk fast. I don't want the good people to be in charge. I want everyone to know the good people are in charge, mm-hmm. because that way, if you want to be in charge, what do you have to be? A good leader. A good person. But then I also teach everyone what's right. That's why I did the Friday Focus, best leadership tool I've ever used in my life. It's a constant drumbeat of what I value and what's important. So that way, no one has to guess what matters. I teach them every day what matters. They may not do it, but I've got, you know, with with less effective people, you got to start out of the ignorant or insubordinate. And we think they're almost always insubordinate. They're almost always ignorant. Yeah. And and ignorant doesn't necessarily mean unintelligent. It can mean ignorant, mean unaware of how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So or don't have the capacity. Right. Yeah. 
Yes. I mean, that's professional learning. That's what I count on <laughs> is that they need to the opportunity to grow right in their skills. Right. And and uh, yes, that that's great. So the Friday focus is really that tool that allows you to teach them through messaging what your expectations are. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I, I wrote a second edition of Motivating Inspiring Teachers just to include another chapter on the Friday focus. Mm -hmm. But I literally break it down. How come on this example, you use three people's names? How come on this example, you didn't use anyone's name? How come on this example, you used one? Because if you don't understand that, what, what I think is interesting and not good people, because I, I really only talk to smart people. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. That's the only reason I did this with you. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> but But what happens is, like I'll mention this, the Friday focus and uh, and uh, I go, it's a staff memo and I go, it's a little different than the average staff memo. And I and below average people always go, I do a staff memo. Mm -hmm. And it's like, great. Yeah, great. Then, then they're, sending out, they're sending out the details of, you know, the upcoming assembly and right. the, you know, parent pickup line and the not the things that message what's important to great ineffective people always work to make sure something new doesn't apply to them <laughs> you know point. if i use an example of a second grade teacher an ineffective first grade teacher literally says i teach first grade i teach first grade. Yeah. the great high school physics teacher goes i see how that would apply in physics class because uh -huh. you're looking at how you could utilize it not how to avoid it yeah, that is because a that is a profound statement. The ineffective it, people it, work for it to not to apply to them. Right. And they also always look for reasons it's not relevant. You know, they're always looking for some reason it's not relevant, that their kids are harder or something's think about an ineffective if you have an ineffective second grade teacher and the kids go to a great third grade teacher. The second grade teacher spends the whole year talking about how kids mature in third grade. Mm -hmm. And then if they go to a crummy fourth grade teacher, the fourth grade teacher talks about the fourth grade backslide. Mm -hmm. And then the second grade teacher and fourth grade teacher become besties. <laughs> and they talk about how the odd number of years, everybody knows are so much easier than the even number of years. <laughs> it must be nice having that sweet spot third graders. And they hang around other people who are like that. Yeah. And it reinforces you. And, and then you never feel abnormal. Mm -hmm. But in my school with the Friday Focus and my group, of positive people gets larger and larger and larger the 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 isolated people become the ineffective people and in most schools the isolated people are the effective people yeah and that's and, so sad it's so sad that people feel alone when they're doing the right thing right. The, particularly but, in our profession but for our leader friends one thing to remember is you can also hire great people because average people don't want them in their school yeah they're always looking to, and they and, and great people have more ability to move than anyone else. That's why you've got to be really uh, treat them special because they are special. Yeah. Um, but you can also hire them because they want to make a difference. And if they're in an organization where they don't feel like, and they don't want to make a difference in their class, they want to make a difference in the school. Yeah. And if they're not given that opportunity, they're going to find a place where they can make a difference in the school. And so as leaders, never be discouraged about you know, as a, there, there's a terrible teacher shortage, but the best principals don't talk about the terrible teacher shortage because the best principals are always snagging the best people anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, you know, they used to have 50 candidates. Now they have three candidates, but the best principals are getting the three best candidates. Yeah. It's everyone else who's suffering. So I, I say that I, I think that our work as school leaders, one of our primary responsibilities is culture building. And I feel like the work that you do about 
um, what great principals do differently and, you know, dealing with difficult parents and students and teachers. It really is about setting expectations and creating an environment that fosters and celebrates those people who are doing exceptionally well. And and it and what as you said, part of that is recognizing the talent in the field and bringing that to you. And if people don't feel heard, they will be looking for those opportunities to go to a place where culture matters. You know, and, and understand this is somebody who's written four culture books and is writing a fifth culture book. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> so keep this in mind: culture's just used all the time. It, nobody even knows what it means. People just toss it out there. Yeah. It's not culture; it's leadership. Yeah. It's not culture; it's leadership. Yeah. Okay. You know, now we like to say, you know, my biggest fear in using using the word culture, whatever writing a book about it, people would use as an excuse for being crummy. Mm. What can I do? The culture. What can we do? The culture. Nothing we can do. We got the culture because ineffective people love to have a reason that, you know, if it, if it's culture and it's not leadership. Okay. Alabama football team is the best college football team in the country consistently. I know you're in Michigan. I apologize, but in general, for, I'll let it ride because we but, beat Ohio State this week. But do you know what? Yeah, I know, right? That's why I brought it up. Do you know why? Um, do you know when Alabama started talking about culture? Uh, no way. When Nick Saban, their best coach in college football, became the coach, mm-hmm. they didn't talk about Alabama's culture before that. And you could go, yes, they did. When Bear Bryant was there, oh, you mean when they had that best coach in the country? But all the coaches in between, they never talked about that. So if we think it's culture, it's not the leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we think I work at University of Missouri, I lo- I really like our football coach. Okay. I have a Mizzou football tree right behind me there for Christmas. <laughs> so keep that in mind. If Nick Saban came to Mizzou, University of Missouri, where I'm at, and our coach went to Alabama. Okay. Since it's culture, it's not the leader. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Alabama would continue to be just as good and Missouri would continue to be average and Nick Saban could be there and nothing would change. Wait, what do you mean? They'd start winning immediately the very first year. Of course they would because they have a different leader than they had before. If that makes any sense. It it does make sense. And and I think I'm saying the same thing because my, my approach is if it's not the job of the leader, then who on earth is responsible for it? And that's (laughs) leadership. That's not culture. Yeah, it is. It, yes, you're right. It is you know, the leader. Yeah. Here's the way I want. I've got a clear example, I think. I don't know. I think what I say is clear and probably isn't. Very but, clear. Uh, if you have a crummy teacher, okay, by April 15th, they have an incredibly embedded culture. Would you agree with that? The, in the teacher's classroom? In that classroom, there's an yes. incredibly yes. Em- embedded culture, okay? Yes. If a, If the best teacher in the school not an average teacher, because we've got to understand greatness. Mm-hmm. If the best teacher in a school goes in that class April 16th, in one week, what is that class like? It's completely different. Completely different. Okay. If an average teacher goes into that class, not crummy, average teacher goes in that class April 15th, in one week, what is the class like? It's different. It, it's, it's a little better. Yeah. It's more organized. Yeah. yeah. But then, but the dysfunctional kids are still running the class. Yeah. Because the teacher's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, but see, that's not culture. Mm-hmm. That's leadership. leadership. If it was culture, it wouldn't matter whether it was an average teacher, a great teacher, a poor teacher at all that went in there, would it? Yeah. And, but instead, and, that, that's the deciding factor is yeah. the leader. 
And and, it, and it's funny because that circles back exactly to what you said a few minutes ago about how crummy people look for how things don't apply for them. Right. So if I'm the leader and the culture's bad, but it's not my fault, then I it's I got someone else to blame when things the learning isn't happening, the discipline is on the rise, attendance is terrible, my teachers are upset. I got someone else to blame. Culture is just a current descriptor. That that literally almost everyone, there are books with culture in the title or versions of culture that they're all wrong. The people don't even understand what culture is and they just use it because there isn't a culture of something. That's not, there's not a culture of positive. There's no such thing as that. Mm -hmm. Culture is so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and the other thing, understand this. See, this is what happens with a great leader or a great teacher. When the great teacher goes into that class on April 16th, they never see the before. The kids will never be as dysfunctional as they were the day before they walked in. Now, a kid will try that teacher (laughs) and the teacher will handle it in a way that doesn't cause everyone else to jump on board with that dysfunctional kid. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. That breakthrough kid will try something and and it doesn't mean it does it all goes perfect it doesn't that's come but but that teacher will handle it in a way that's different than the previous teacher handled it yeah and because of that there aren't 23 other kids chiming in anymore yeah there may be two but before there was 23 yeah and by the second day when that kid tries it again there's not two kids even chiming in anymore if it was culture that wouldn't matter yeah good point so what about um, external pressures on principals? What, right. what, what, what do we do about helping principals navigate those external factors? We are in an incredibly difficult time because right now, uh, teachers, principals, education is literally under attack. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. And mm-hmm. somehow or another, there's gains in that from people, political gains or something, you know, people love to say edu- school, you know, education's broken. It's not broken. If it was broken, there wouldn't be any great teachers, but there's great teachers all over the place. There wouldn't be any great teacher schools in their school, great schools in every state. There wouldn't, you know, so people just say it because somehow that gets a reward for them, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And the thing I've learned is the demonization t- of teachers doesn't help anything. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you know, I work with public schools, private schools, and charter schools, and I work with all three simply because there's kids in each of those schools. Yes. If there weren't kids in each of those schools, I wouldn't work with them, but I, but there are. <laughs> yeah. But there aren't three pools of teachers. See, there's not a public school pool and a private school pool and a charter school pool. There's one pool, and it's getting thinner, it's getting weaker, and it's potentially even getting soiled. And people yeah. like it that it is somehow or another. But here's the way I want us to think about things, and this is really important as a leader. If during the last couple of years, uh, you have given standardized tests and your test scores have fallen, quit being defensive about it. Yeah. Do you know what that shows? Schools matter. Schools matter a ton. Think about that. So, yes. so we had a dysfunctional years in terms of closing and opening and, and you know, masking and going virtual, whatever. <laughs> we right. have absolute concrete, 100% proof that schools matter. Yeah. It's indisputable how much schools matter. So yeah. wear it with pride. You know what should scare you if the last two years your score skyrocketed? I mean, that does make complete sense because they we didn't have the students in front of us and therefore they 
We have proof it matters. You know what else we have proof of? There's a whole bunch of businesses that don't matter at all. They closed in the <laughs> pandemic and nobody misses them. Nobody cares. We can shop online. We can. You know my favorite thing? Sherry, do you know any people who love to say anyone can teach? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They yes. got their crack during the pandemic. How'd that work out <laughs> for the geniuses, huh? I could force them to skyrocket because anyone can teach. Oh, and you know what's funny? The people that say anyone can teach are mad schools were closed. Yeah. Pick a team. Pick a team, you geniuses. And as a leader, I have to remind my teachers, we have concrete proof of how much we matter. Yeah. And you know what? Language arts scores went down. Math scores went down. And student behavior went down. You know why? Because a big part of our country needs schools to help students understand how to behave, how to treat yes. other people, how to interact with others. Yes. We have irrefutable proof. I live in a town where we have bank branches and during the pandemic, they closed all over town. You know what's weird? Hardly any of them have opened. They didn't open back up, did they? Nope, because you know why? We don't need them. Yeah. They got us on an app, they got us online, they got us, we tried closing the schools down and you know what we know? We need them like crazy. We need them more than we've ever needed them. Yes. We've never needed schools so badly. And so and your I point- I want principals to carry that as a badge of honor and help their teachers understand we have proof of the significance that we offer every day. And we so when I when I think about that and I apply that to the question I asked you, the idea is that we need to stop being so defensive and start standing up and knowing that what we do counts and matters and and keep moving forward. Yes. We also need legislators, we also need school leaders, we also need state departments to also quit being defensive and quit being attacking yeah. schools. They have got to stop. They're they're demonizing school. You know, the uh, you all probably you everybody, all the listeners probably know this. I think it was the Gallup polls came out. I, was, I think it was September 1st, and I could be incorrect because I'm doing this off the top of my head. And I believe they've done it for 39 years. And there's two main questions they ask. How do you view your local schools and how do you view schools in general? Mm -hmm. How do you view your local schools had a larger increase this year than it's ever had in the history of the Gallup poll? Huh. You know what? The, how do you view schools in general has fallen. Because people we don't know, see what happens is we watch the news, we listen to news, we see nonsensical stuff posted on Facebook about kitty litter. Yeah. And we start thinking all the schools are doing it, but ours. Yeah. And, you know, and that's made up. That literally is made up. Yeah. If it wasn't made up, you would have crazies doing announcing from in front of the school, broadcasting in front of the school. Yeah. So, so the same approach that you talk about in terms of sending out your messaging to your staff is sending it out to your community. Talk about the good things that are happening, being straightforward about um, the positive things in your school. and Yes, but you want to know the winning message to your community? Make like, sure every kid has a great teacher. Yeah. That's the winning message. That's the only message that matters. Because do you, do you have children, Cherry? I do. I have three. <laughs> okay. You know what's really weird, and I don't know how old your kids are, because I'm assuming your kids must be really, really young just looking at you. But anyhow. <laughs> Thank you, but no. <laughs> I, I need friends. I can All the friends I can get here. But anyhow, think about this. No matter what anybody says about your school, if your three kids came home and loved school, you couldn't care less what anyone says. Mm. And no matter what anybody says about your school, if all three kids come home and don't like their teacher, you couldn't care less what anybody said. Yeah. That's the message that resonates. The mm -hmm. challenge we face in education now, before we used to think about crazy parents going to school board meetings or going and dealing with the principal. Now the problem is it's crazies who don't have kids going to school board meetings. Yeah. 
responsible because they've gotten online or they've got heard on broadcast or they listen to a certain person that tells them schools are doing this and schools are doing this and they're grooming kids and they're have kitty litter. And what happens is, and they have nothing to lose. Yeah. Because understand, you know, this is a principle. A, a parent comes in under, on, on attack mode. They still have a little hesitation because their kids have to come to school tomorrow. Yeah. They don't want their a kids. person who comes in who doesn't have kids. They have no limitations. Good point. I think there's one other reason people attack teachers. You know okay. what that is? What's that? I think people who don't have jobs that matter are jealous. Mm. Yeah. I want you to think about this. How many jobs do you know people 10 years later go and you've made a complete difference in my life? You have changed. You're the most inspirational person I've ever been around. There's not many, are there? Not many. You're right. And understand this. If you hate your job and you're kind of down on your job and on your luck, you're looking to put everybody else down. You know, yeah. ineffective people don't work to bring themselves up. They work to bring everybody else yeah. down. Yeah. And what happens is think about this. I look around, I'm thinking that teacher's making a difference in people's lives every day. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks I make a difference in anybody's life every day. Yeah. And I don't like my job and my job's boring and my job's crummy. So I'm putting down, they get summers off. I'm putting down the hours that they work. I'm putting down, they get this. But what I'm really is I'm just jealous because they matter and I don't. And we're such mission driven people in our work that we don't recognize people who are doing work that doesn't fulfill their bucket like our work does. Right. Sure, <laughs> right, think, no. What's the no. problem? And, and what happens is, but the, the challenges and what makes our job so hard is to be effective, you have to care every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I needed my teachers to do two things every day. I need you to care and try. If yeah. you care and try every day, I can help you become great. But if you don't care and try every day, I can't help you become great. And in other professions, it doesn't matter if they care and try every day. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know. I go to Walmart, even if the clerk's surly, because mm-hmm. their prices are good. Now yeah. they have self-checkout and you can always shoplift. I mean, you have a whole array <laughs> of choices there. But what happens is you can't send your kids to a school that the teachers don't care. You, you, you don't want your kids to go to that school. You don't. And people in communities know that. But that's also why teachers need time off. That's why they need summers off. It's not the hours. It's the intensity of the job. Yeah. And I'm and, not and- putting down the hours, but it's the intensity of the job that makes it so different. Yeah. And I think, too, that plays into our burnout, because when we are giving that level of intensity and it it goes on day after day throughout the school year, and then people say that, you know, we're not good at our job, that the kitty litter example, we you're just so exhausted at that point. How do you right. how do you combat that? Somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, how does a principal take care of the students? And I said, I, I don't have any idea. I know how a principal takes care of the teachers and I know how the teachers take care of the students. Mm-hmm. And you make teachers feel special because they are special. You make them feel important because they are important. But one of the things, you know, the minimum goal of every faculty meeting is I want teachers to be more excited about teaching tomorrow than they were today. And great principals, without exception, have faculty meetings teachers look forward to and value. And average and below average principals, without exception, have faculty meetings teachers don't look forward to and value. But what what we get confused is leadership's not an event. So a faculty meeting where you have a funny YouTube clip's great, but that's really not what that means. And it isn't cupcakes and I like frosting. (laughs) It really is. You have to leave them with something specifically they can implement in their classroom the next day that will make them more excited about teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's a fairly high standard, but that's the difference between great and average. And I'm constant. You constantly have to make people feel important. 
and you know the friday focus the the drumbeat underneath that is how lucky we are how blessed we are how thankful we are how fortunate we are because most what happens if if that doesn't come from the leader on a regular basis see not once a year not at the start of the year not that it's it's too late how lucky we are how blessed we are how thankful we are how fortunate we are because in the teachers lounge in every school especially as we get tired the drumbeat becomes how unlucky we are how cursed we are how overworked we are how underpaid we are Mm-hmm. And if you don't hear this drum beat, you start to listen to this drum beat. But part of it really is also dealing with people who don't carry their weight, dealing with people who are negative, who bring us down. Our jobs are hard on our best days. They become un- insurmountable on our worst days. But central office also, their minimum goal for every meeting they have with principals is they need principals to be more excited about principal in tomorrow than they were today. Yeah. We, at my central office, friends, and I've written books for superintendents and school boards, we can't suck the life out of principals. Mm-hmm. And I I'm guarantee you, most principals watching have a meeting at least once in a while. Where they want to take a letter opener and stick it in their thigh to make sure they're still alive. Yeah. But it's also on a daily basis, supporting teachers, running interference to keep adults so that the teachers deal with student issues and you deal with the adult issues. Um. That when I have a every time I'm with a parent and the if the parent when I'm with a parent, I'm always making the teacher out to be a hero. Yeah, I'm constantly making the teacher out to be a hero. I'm constantly if anyone's ever mad, I, I want to mad at me. I don't want to mad at the teachers in the school. Mm-hmm. If a kid's mad, I want the kid mad at me. I don't want to mad at the teacher in the school, if this makes any sense. And yeah. I'll deal with the teacher individually if there's one dysfunctional person. But I'm talking about in general. Yeah. Um, I leave notes. I go in their room. I thank them. I talk about how amazing they are. I I reinforce what they do. I I stroke them on a regular basis. And I'm and by teachers, I'm including all the workers in the yeah. school. I don't just mean teachers, but I'm I'm saying it in a generalized way. And in addition, I have to support the teachers. You know, related to discipline, student behavior, in terms of organization management. I work in a principal preparation program at University of Missouri, and um, and also we're online now, so anyone is welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. And I did it in Indiana State, and I don't get paid for recruiting, so keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm doing it because it's the best program in the country, truthfully. So okay. uh, I'd encourage you to be a part. But what's interesting is I have I've al- always had so many new principals, you know, get their first jobs. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, Todd, they wanted a female and I'm a male. They wanted a male and I'm a female. They wanted an internal. I'm an external. They wanted external. I'm internal. They wanted older. I'm younger. They wanted younger. I'm older. And I said, all that matters till the first kid sent to the office. <laughs> and then what are you going to do with them? <laughs> and if you handle that correctly, nobody cares what your background is. But if you handle it incorrectly, nobody cares what your background is. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's funny. This is for my principal friends and you all handle it however you want to. I'm amazed how many principals, when they hire an assistant, put a committee together. Mm. And I'd only put a committee together if that's going to help me get a better person. I'm never worried about the a new assistant being accepted. Because mm. if I hire right, they'll be accepted. Yeah. And if I hire wrong, they'll never be accepted. No matter. And unless that committee will help me hire better, mm-hmm. I don't want a committee. Yeah. Because what do you do if they recommend someone else? And you don't hire them now. All of a sudden, they're re- they're against the new person you hired. Yeah. And if they hi- you hire the second best person, it, it's so funny. The committee, and I'm not being critical of them. A committee of teachers is never going to take responsibility for a dysfunctional hire. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> In October, people are complaining about the new assistant. No one's going to go. You know, I was on the committee. I voted for him. Blame me. Yeah. 
Uh, Instead, they're going to go, I know, I thought they were crummy too. I actually didn't vote for them, even though they did. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. so yeah. I, I don't understand all of that matters till the first kid's sent to the office. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the day before the first day of school, it matters that you had a committee. Mm-hmm. Once the first day of school comes, nobody cares. Yeah. And we get so confused because we think that'll help build a culture. See, you hear that all the time. Yeah. That'll give them more. No, it won't. Their performance will give them credibility. Yeah. And the same way in hiring, putting a group of together to hire a teacher, unless that gets you a better person than you would have got on your own or in your current process, I don't even understand why you even consider it Mm because it isn't going to matter. Yeah, it's that's a that's a big um, shift in thinking, really, because people do bring those committees together to open up people's voice to get to create this idea of collaboration and, and what you're saying is when when the rubber hits the road and the 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 buses are pulling out that first day what happens with the kids is what matters cherry you you have children okay yeah. do you want them to have a great teacher or one that a committee hired yeah i want them to have a great teacher do you want them to have a great teacher or one that you were even on a committee that hired yeah i want them to have a great teacher <laughs> So unless you, and I'm not being critical of you, because understand the committee doesn't check references, doesn't get that background information, oftentimes doesn't have near the knowledge that the person has. Now, if you're crummy at hiring, Mm -hmm. then first of all, quit hiring and get somebody else to do the hiring. (laughs) But a committee may be an upgrade over you, but it it makes no sense. And it's just, do you see how though that's a trend? I could read that on Twitter and I like Twitter. Mm -hmm. And they talk about student voice. They could People don't care about that. No, yeah. They don't care about any of that. Yeah, you're right. They only care yeah. about it when you're wrong. And so then that also gives people the opportunity again to um, avoid the leadership, right? If I have a committee of people who decide and I have to go with this person because that's who they selected and I'm a crummy leader, it gives me an out, right? Instead of, of having the strength to stand up and say, this is the candidate I recommend because they do this, 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 and this well. I, I don't even need to stand up and say anything. This mm-hmm. is who we hire. And I'm not being cocky. I'm not, I'd yeah. never do that. Yeah. Um, that, that I'm, that this, this is who we hired. And, and it, and I'm, and I'm, to me, I'm confident they're going to work out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if they work out, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. Teachers, you know, they talk about teacher input. And I'm about, and I believe in this. This is not anything I don't believe in. But teachers only want input if things aren't going well. Yeah. If you're in a school and it's phenomenal, and the principal's supportive, and and everything's reasonable, and things are organized, and 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 the rooms are clean, and and this, you don't you don't care about any more input. Because mm-hmm. it's moving forward. Sure. And it, and maybe you want to be a principal because you want to be a principal like that person's a principal. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens is when there's dysfunction. And, and and the challenge is this, getting input. When you have a dysfunctional, when there's a lack of leadership, meaning effective leadership, when there's a lack of leadership, everybody tries to fill the void. And it's almost always the strong negative personalities that fill it. Yeah. So when the leader's weak getting input, it's going to be the strong negative personalities who are going to provide the most input. Yeah. yeah. However, as a principal, I constantly get input mm-hmm. from the best people. Mm-hmm but never in a way they're ostracized. I may go and ask every single teacher what they think. I just listen to some more than the others. Yeah. Because the best, here's an example. Make every decision based on your best people. I was 25. I was a high school principal. A kid got sent to the office. I didn't know what to do. I never even thought about a kid getting sent to the office. And I got sent to the office as a student. Just as a teacher, I never sent anybody to the office. Yeah. And I thought, what do I do? 
I went to Jerry Murphy, who was my very best teacher as a female, Jerry Murphy. I go to Jerry. I go, Jerry, a kid got sent to the office. What do I do? <laughs> and she goes, the first thing is you do is you treat it if it's a big deal, because it's a big deal to that person. Even if it's stupid, it's a big deal to them. Mm-hmm. The second thing is you always get a hold of the parent before the kid gets a hold of the parent. Yeah. Good, the, good phone, advice. the phone is your best friend unless it's ringing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The third thing is always have a consequence, even if it sit there 10 minutes. What does that even mean? And the fourth thing is get back to the teacher in person, go to them in person and tell them exactly what you did. So they feel supported. Yeah. Have you ever had any principals you wish had gotten that advice? Oh, all the time. And understand, I couldn't have thought of that on my own, but the best teacher in the school knows. But you know why I can't go to an average teacher? Because what's funny is that, you know what the best teacher would then say at the end of that advice, you know what the best teacher would say? But if I send them, I don't care what you do because it doesn't matter. If I ever send them, I just need them out of class so I can get class back and then I can go talk to them. Yeah. The average teacher will say, do this because mm-hmm. the best teacher says, do this. But if I send them, do less. Yeah. yeah. The average teacher says, do this. But if I send them, do more. Then I want them to have X, Y, and Z consequence, right? Not, Yeah. But if I send them, because the great people have a vision of the entire organization, average people only have a vision of their role. And And that never changes. I I also heard you talk about ownership, right? So the great teacher says, I'm going to manage that relationship with that student when I have a minute. I just need a minute to collect the group. But I own the relationship and what's happening with that student. And the the ineffective teacher doesn't want to own it, doesn't want to be part of the solution. My my very first faculty meeting every year as a principal, I had the same language, and I would sell this to my teachers. The first faculty meeting of the year, I'd say, I cannot control the kids' behavior in your classroom, but I will do everything in my power to help you control the kids' behavior in your classroom, mm-hmm. and here's what I need to do it. And I'd talk to them about the specific expectations for me to help you control the kids' behavior in your classroom. The other thing I've done a lot, and it's really funny, I do so much more classroom management now than I used to, which sounds the opposite of me. Mm-hmm. But the thing I've learned is, think about this. What percentage of teachers in a school would like their job better if they were better at managing their classroom? 100. <laughs> 100%. But what percent of teachers in a school, and, and there isn't an answer to this, so you don't have to answer. It's a reflective question. Yeah. What percent of teachers in their school, in a school, would significantly like their job better? It's pretty high. Yeah. You know, it isn't the best three teachers because it's just a small tweak, but it's a lot of teachers. Yeah. And the other thing that's funny is I always ask people this. You ever been told to raise your test scores? (laughs) And of course, I think that's the funniest thing in the world, because when they say raise your test scores, I go, who's been holding back on their test scores? You know, then you keep a little slack in the line there on (laughs) test scores. It's a little trick I have in the back pocket here. So, right. I I could raise it. I'm just holding back till my bonus year, you know, whatever. (laughs) What's funny is. What do you think a leader has more ability to do? Teach teachers how to manage their class or teach teachers how to raise their test scores? Which of the two do you think they have more ability to do? Manage their class. Okay. If every teacher in a school was a master of classroom management, show me with your thumb which direction test scores would go up. They go up. So why on earth don't we start there? And think about this. Teachers are more satisfied in their job. They think more highly of their leader if you can help them with this. And the kids behave better and the leader's job's easier and test scores go up. But the reason we don't teach teachers to manage their classes is because we don't know how. Uh And what I've learned is, and this is what I do, I teach you, but I teach you so specifically that literally you can change what you do tomorrow. But if I do it in general, it's never going to work. 
Mm-hmm. It has to be so specific. For example, I'll use a quick example here. Um, uh, uh, proximity. Okay. If you have superstars, backbones, and mediocre, superstars and backbones both use proximity. Mm-hmm. Mediocres never use proximity. They, they're too stationary. They, they don't sit behind their desk because they're lazy. They sit behind their desk because they're scared of the kids. We just think they're lazy. They're scared of the kids. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is, though, superstars and backbones, if they both use proximity, superstars do it right, backbones do it wrong. That's the problem with everything in education. Mm-hmm. Superstars and backbones do them. The great teachers do it right. The average teachers do it wrong. That's what it is. And the crummy teachers don't do it. Yeah. Superstars embed proximity in their teaching. They are constantly on the move if they're going to use proximity. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. then proximity is never a disruption. It's never a distraction. They literally are walking around all the time. And then they end up standing next to Marcus exactly when they need to stand up next to Marcus. But it's never a disruption. Yeah. yeah. The average teacher who uses proximity doesn't move enough. Mm-hmm. So when they move toward uh, uh, um, um, Brittany, mm-hmm. all the kids watch them move toward Brittany, and it actually becomes more of a disruption than it is. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing a great teacher's first instinct when a kid misbehaves is to keep oh, teaching. The average teacher's first instinct is to stop teaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, 93% of student misbehaviors because they want attention, 7% of student misbehaviors because they want power. By the way, 93% of adult misbehaviors also because they want attention and 7% of adult misbehaviors also because they want power. A great teacher, first instinct is to keep teaching because guess what a great teacher gets to do while they keep teaching? Mm -hmm. They get to keep thinking. Mm -hmm. And you know what they're thinking? What should I do? Mm -hmm. Should I redirect? Should I clip them down? Should I use eye contact? Should I call their names? Should I go over the rules? You know what else they're thinking? What day of the week is it? What time of day is it? Is they trending up? Are they trending down? How many days till Christmas vacation? If it's only 10 days till Christmas vacation, they're not punishing the kid. They're going to give him a cigarette and let him smoke his way to break. <laughs> I mean, they're going to do whatever they want. <laughs> but what happens is great teachers outthink kids. Average teachers try to outquick kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I think is the funniest thing I have ever sought them out of, and it's this is so counterintuitive for me. I do not understand this on anyone's thinking. The average teacher, when a kid misbehaves, stops teaching and looks at the kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 93% of student misbehaviors because they want what? What was it? I forgot. Attention. And they stop teaching. And what do they do, Sherry? They give them attention. Oh, my land. <laughs> I can't even believe this is even anyone's thinking. And this is almost everyone's thinking. Yes. And the great teacher does not stop teaching because you know what the great teacher knows? The 24 kids doing the right thing are more important than the one kid doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And the average teacher thinks the one kid doing the wrong thing is more important than the 24 doing the right thing. It is it is so backwards. And that's how come stuff yeah. goes wrong. Yeah. As a principal, my last school had 1,350 middle school kids in it. As a principal, myself and my two assistants could be in classrooms every day. And do you know how come we could be in classrooms every single day? Do you know what I taught my assistants? The because. kid who gets sent to the office is the lo- mo- least important kid in the school, mm-hmm. which making them out to be the most. You have a kid who stopped learning and trying to keep everyone else from stopping learning. And we drop what we do and race to deal with the kid. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. and the other thing is, the reason I'm not in a hurry to deal with that kid, because there's not a teacher in the school in a hurry to get him back. <laughs> good point. Yeah. And if your secretary's any good. They can deal with two dysfunctional kids better than the two worst teachers can deal with two dysfunctional kids. Yes, you're right. I do not understand. Yeah. We have 1,349 kids doing the right thing, and I quit spending time with them to deal with the one kid doing the wrong thing. Yeah. 
And that's what the average teacher does in their classroom every day. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I think it's really interesting that you raise this issue about where principals need to focus their energy because we spend a lot of time focusing on helping principals become instructional leaders and having them focus on curriculum and, you know, monitoring lesson plans, all of which are important tasks, but it's completely meaningless if there's chaos in the classrooms. And so Principals do need to be experts at classroom management and helping teachers understand how to to operate. That is instructional leadership. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. to think it isn't. What happens is I always say this. If a if a teacher has is if a teacher is highly effective at classroom management, they may never have anything. Mm-hmm. But if they're ineffective at classroom management, I know they'll never have anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, and and the two reasons and research shows before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic. Isn't it weird? I guess we can't blame the pandemic, can we? <laughs> you know the two reasons teachers, the two biggest reasons teachers quit, mm-hmm. can't manage their classroom, don't like their leader. Oh, just think if their leader could help them manage their classroom. Yeah. Wow. That's the teacher that that's the principal that didn't worry about turnover. Yeah, and that's super interesting research. I hadn't heard that it was the same pre, during, and post. It's yeah. exactly the same. Wow. There is, there is so many studies for this. And and it's just funny because what happened is the leaders weren't doing it before the pandemic. They weren't doing it during the pandemic and they're not doing it after the pandemic. Yeah. And But what's happened is the pandemic has raised everybody where now you come to work and you're at 80 percent instead of 100 mm-hmm. percent. So when you're not effective, what happens is it's harder. The other thing is, I think because of the fact we weren't in school. Mm-hmm. Even though anyone can teach, I've heard. Anyhow, even though we weren't in school, it went from two dysfunctional students to four dysfunctional students. Yeah, yeah. And when it gets to five, you're really in trouble because you don't teach in a Pentagon. You only have four corners. And if you have five yeah. problem kids, you really have an issue because you only have four corners. Yeah. But I think what's happened is then we were always on the cusp mm-hmm. of burning people out, of yeah. working too hard because our jobs are so hard. So intense. And the pandemic just exposed it. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those that had just pushed us over the edge. We were close enough that mm-hmm. um, we were close enough that all of a sudden things became too difficult. Yeah. And I say that the pandemic gave educators a little bit of taste of um, a home balance that we yeah, were right. used to ignoring. Right. That we could no question. We could foresee it for nine months and push through because we're of, of our hearts. Our hearts are in the educational field. But suddenly the things that were happening at home were also really important. And yep. no it question. Hard, it was hard for people to pass that. And you came and realize this. You came in, meaning you, meaning educators, came to work trying to stay healthy, mm-hmm. trying to keep their kids healthy, trying to keep their families healthy. And there's people screaming at them for trying to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I want okay. to thank educators mm-hmm. and I want to thank educational leaders for showing the world how to lead. Okay. Understand there are so many people that have been in positions higher than that, whatever that means at the state level, national level, that haven't shown people how to lead. Yeah. However, education leaders did. They put the students first. They Mm -hmm. put the community first. They put parents first. They put faculty and staff first. And they have shown people how to lead. Mm -hmm. And that's exhausting. Yeah. But I, I want everyone to also remember this. We actually have chosen a profession that matters. That's what makes our profession so special. The best thing about teaching is it matters. The hardest thing about teaching is it matters every day. Mm -hmm. 
That's what makes it so different because most jobs don't matter every day. You can have the world's best salesperson and they can have a phenomenal sale on Monday. Nobody cares if they don't even come to work the rest of the week. They're still salesperson of the month for a yeah. phenomenal sale. And I'm not belittling that. I understand no. that. Mm -hmm. But in education, it's not like that. Yeah. It's every single day. You know, one of the things I write about in my books, it's 10 days out of 10. And that's really hard. It is 10 days out of 10. For and I work, you know, it's, it's funny, I work with retailers and that kind of stuff and people in all sorts of professions. I, I don't like it as much, but I do it. And one of the things I always teach them is never take the next customer, never take out the last customer on the next customer. Mm. And mm. I want you to think how hard that is in education, because in a profession, that last customer is gone. Yeah. In education, that last customer is still sitting right, in the classroom <laughs> right next to the other kids. And that's yeah. really difficult to do. And it becomes so personal. But it's also personal to the parents, to the kids, to the families. I mean, what we do is so personal. You have the most precious commodity there is. Yeah. And the other thing for school leaders, and this is the importance of our schools, your school today is going to be your community in five years. Yeah. And that's what I think is the strangest thing about communities attacking schools, because that's going to be your community in five years. Yeah. And so you have to build it the way you want it to be. Exactly right. And our job is not to reflect society. Our job is to cultivate society. Yeah. The pandemic's shown us that. Yeah, that's a great paradigm shift as well. You know, and but be proud that what you do matters. Be proud that what you do is significant. Be proud that you have chosen the single most important profession that there is and make sure the people in your school are also proud. They should be. They should be. What an honor it is to be in education. What yeah. an honor it is. And we can never lose sight of that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just want to say thank you um, for, for doing the podcast today. I mean, that, to give us your time and to uh, share with school leaders this idea that they there are boundaries they can set. There's good work that they can do. And they are the leader. Uh, is really important message. But I also need to thank you for my own professional career because you taught me so much, even though we had never met before uh, today, you taught me so much that empowered me as a leader. And so thank you for, for that. You're kind. And, and I'm Todd Whitaker's nobody. But if you ever want to visit, um, my website's toddwhitaker.com. I don't have any people. Contact yeah. me anytime because our jobs can get lonely. Yes. You know, our job. I, I, you know, it's teachers too. I always say teaching is the most isolated profession and you're never alone which yeah. is incredibly interesting. <laughs> and on Twitter, I'm at Todd Whitaker. Uh, okay. Give me a holler anytime. I'd be happy to visit. Um, it's I just want to do anything I can to support educators. Uh, that's, that's why I got into education. Join us for our next episode of The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. Mm -hmm.